Amen. Had to wait a second to make sure they were done. They got me the first time. I almost jumped up. Acts chapter 2 tonight. Brother Josh, if you got those outlines, you can pass those out for me. It's warm up here, so I'm going to take this suit coat off. Feel free to do the same thing if you want to. The air just doesn't keep up in here. And... Speaking in tongues, that's what we're going to discuss tonight and next week. And... Um... I got a second page for you, but there's no point in passing it out tonight and making you carry it in your Bible or lose it or something like that, so I'm going to give you this tonight. We're not going to get too far into it, uh, maybe the first page or so, and then we'll move on to the next. Actually, Brother Josh, is there more? I need one, yeah, just, to, just so I can keep track of where everybody's at, so I can, uh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Brother Bill. I won't say anything, but I could, I could, I could. All right, so the modern and, and really the tongues, the, the, the Pentecostal movement is not the only one that, that uh, believes in the practice, if you will, of speaking in tongues, um, but their inception, the Pentecostal movement started around the, the turn of the 20th century, but they've emphasized the belief that all of the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament should be practiced and exercised today. And I, they wouldn't say practice, they would use the word exercise, but uh, one of the gifts that's frequently exalted by the Pentecostal movement is the gift of speaking in tongues. And um, because of that emphasis, a lot of times they're actually called the tongues movement. Um, and, and they hold any combination, and I, you know, obviously we can't just group all of the Pentecostals in one thing and say everybody believes this, because that's when they would say, oh, no, we don't do that, we don't believe that, we don't do this, we don't do that. But any, any Pentecostal movement uh, church that's related to this Pentecostal movement is going to pretty much hold any combination of five errors regarding speaking in tongues. And obviously, we're against speaking in tongues based on the things that we're going to talk about tonight. But I want to show you a couple videos, actually. And um, maybe you're like me. I've never been in a Pentecostal church, and I've never seen speaking in tongues. I've never seen somebody go through all of that stuff. And, and so I actually looked it up, and I, said, I, was, I was actually surprised when I saw uh, what speaking in tongues actually is. I'm not making fun of these people, necessarily. Um, they're the ones that posted these videos on, on uh, YouTube for anybody to see that wanted to see them. But I want you to see if, as we watch these, and one of them is a little bit longer than other. I'm going to cut. I'll cut you off, brother Josh. Uh, once we get into it a little bit, um, we don't need to watch the whole thing. I just want to kind of give you a taste of it. But but see if you can point anything out. See if you can pick anything out based on what you already know from the Word of God uh, that would be wrong with what is what is taking place. Uh, in these videos. So, Brother Josh, go ahead and do the first one. Here we go. So, this is just a lady who decided that she was going to show what it's like to speak in tongues. All right? She explains it a little bit, and then I want you to watch the process. Okay? I have been praying in the Spirit for a few months now after being baptized in the Holy Spirit and taking about seven years to receive the evidence of speaking in tongues. But I did it. Um, now, I want you to think about some of these terms as we go through. Pay attention to some of these terms, okay? Baptized in the Spirit, um, um, the gift of the Spirit, all of these things. 
Um, and, and I'll mention this kind of, we're going to mention this again, but one of the things that they say is that the gifts of speaking in tongues is one of the primary evidences that you've actually been filled with the Holy Spirit. And you notice that she said it took seven years for that to happen the first time. So what happened in those seven years? Were you not filled with the Spirit during that time? Were you not saved during that time? Okay, so think about this. I'll try not to interrupt too many times. I was, I locked myself in the bathroom and I sat down on the floor to have complete privacy. It was like the middle of the night, it was about midnight, and my husband, my four kids were off sleeping, and I began reading about um, what scripture says about speaking in tongues. And when I got to the bottom of this website that I was reading, it said that you can't speak two languages at once. And so I bowed my head, and I, instead of saying, like, Abba, Father, or Daddy, or Thank You, or something like that in English, I decided just to give utterance. And I spoke in a language I never heard before. And I cried because it was beautiful. And the fact that I felt that connection with the Lord, I just wanted for such a long time. So, um now do you notice what she said she said i was reading what the bible had to say about speaking in tongues and when i got to the bottom of this article that i was reading on the internet she wasn't reading what the bible had to say about speaking in tongues she had she was reading what somebody else had to say about speaking in tongues from the internet and she locked herself in the bathroom and wanted to speak this language so badly that she just literally started speaking gibberish and it was beautiful she didn't even understand what she was saying, and she admitted that. And she, you know, she, she'll admit that later on. This is a very long video. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go through the whole thing. But she gets into the process. And I want, you to, I want you to see if anything sticks out to you about the process of how she gets into speaking in tongues. This 24-hour um, prayer and worship service that you can get on your phone or iPad app or iPhone app. Anyways. So um, she just encouraged me to make sure I spend an hour with the Lord every morning.
So, um, obviously, you can, that's, that's praying in tongues. She has no idea what she's saying, none. And then she stops in English and says, thank you, Jesus. You know, if, if you're praying in tongues, don't, don't you think you could say, thank you, Jesus? And I'm not, look, I'm not trying to say that these people are not sincere. I believe that she is as sincere as, as she can possibly be. But, but, number one, they're completely misunderstanding what speaking in tongues is all about. And number two, she broke just about every rule that the Bible gives us in 1 Corinthians for how to speak in tongues. So we're going to talk about those things. Now, I want to show you one more video. And this is, um, so this is more like, um, maybe this is an extreme example. Like I say, I've not, I've not been involved in, a, in any Pentecostal church service. So I don't know what happens in a Pentecostal church services, but I know what they promote as what's happening in Pentecostal churches. And this, this next video is an example of that. And again, it just goes on forever. Um, there's a lot of them. But see if anything seems off to you in this clip. But Josh, I think you're a little, I think you're a 
like 30 seconds into it or something. Not like, unless they put the loading, maybe. This is what they call being slain in the spirit. Holy fire. Southern Baptists changed right, This was kind of a whole video on different things. The Southern Baptists are actually doing this speaking in tongues, or they don't, they don't necessarily do speaking in tongues in the Southern Baptist Church, but they don't discourage it either. But you see what, I mean, it, it looks to me like a whole lot of demonic possession is exactly what it looks like. And no, no decency and in order, nothing that's being done in, in a way that is that is like the Bible talks about being done decently in order. So let's let's talk about some of these things tonight. We'll get into this, and we're basically going to be in Acts and First Corinthians for the most part. I'm gonna we're just going to touch this tonight, and then we're going to get into some of the common errors of the tongues movement and kind of address some of these things that maybe those who are involved in it would say. No, we do this. No, we do that. No, this is why we do this. This is why we do that. So let's talk about these. We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, too. And like I said, mostly in 1 Corinthians, mostly in Acts. But let's look at Acts chapter 2 and start there. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, by the way, this is the first time that we see in the Bible or hear in the Bible of speaking in tongues. Uh, it was not done at all in the Gospels. It was not done when Jesus was on this earth. It happens at Pentecost here for the first time. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Most of them stopped there. They're speaking with other tongues. The Holy Ghost fell on them, and they're speaking in tongues. But look what it says. And there were dwelling, verse number 5, at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad and the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? 
And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mes in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocked, saying, These men are full of new wine. But you see what's happening here. These men are speaking in tongues. These are Galileans that are speaking in tongues. But what is it? It's known languages. And the thing that was amazing about them speaking in tongues was not that they were speaking this heavenly language that nobody understood. They were actually hearing it in their own language. And that was amazing to them. They said, how in the world? They're Galileans. How are they speaking in a language that we can understand? So, number one, biblical tongues were a sign to Israel regarding the founding of the church and ceased when the foundation of the church was completed. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to these passages. It's not going to be too hard to flip back and forth between these because we're really going to be in just a couple chapters in 1 Corinthians and just a couple chapters in Acts. But biblical tongues were assigned to Israel regarding the founding of the church. In other words, God had to give authority to those who were founding the church. Uh, meaning, he had to give them something special to show that they were being sent by God. And not that they were just some random men who were out there saying, God sent us. God gave them special abilities to do miracles, to heal, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, to do all of these things, to give them that, that backing, that, that push that they needed for them to get out there and say, well, there's something to this. This is real. This is not just men that are making this stuff up. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is the chapter on charity. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fall, fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. And he goes on. Go to the next chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. In other words, if, if tongues is an evidence of the sign of the Holy Spirit filling your life and you're speaking to God, it very clearly says here that tongues was not a sign that was made for people who believe. It's made for people who don't believe. They were speaking in other languages so they could get the message of the gospel to those people in their own language. And God says in, in 1 Corinthians and in verse chapter 13 and 14 that they're going to cease eventually. Now, we're going to move through this pretty quickly because I'm going to answer some of these other questions when we get to the next part. But letter B, biblical tongues were bound by the directions of the apostles. Biblical tongues were bound by the directions of the apostles. Um, and one of the things that, that we pointed out, or, or that I will point out, especially about the second video, but even in the first, is that there were rules. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 13 Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So it's not something that they have no idea what they're saying. It's something that's being interpreted, something that's being understood. Verse 27, if a man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. 
This lady that, that got on there praying in tongues says, I have no idea what I'm saying, but it was beautiful. Well, no, number one, she was by herself. It said, let it be by two, and at the very most by three, and let somebody be the interpreter so you know what's actually being said. Because the whole point of tongues was for edification, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But look at verse number 34. How about this in that second clip? Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. You look through those, the clips and the last one that I just showed you, it looks like it's anything but decently and in order. You got the drums playing a crazy beat in the background. You have people wiggling all over the place and stomping all over the floor and, you know, people running all over the place. Um, there's, there's a lot of other things that have happened, uh, you know, and, and I mean, some of them are actually almost funny, but you ever heard of the Barking Revival? I forget exactly what it's called, but it's something along those lines. People started barking like dogs in the service. And it was the Holy Spirit filling their life. That's, that's not the Holy Spirit. I can't say that it's demonic, but it sure doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit doing something in there when things are not being done decently and in order and when nobody's following the very rules that were given in 1 Corinthians 14 for how tongues should be done. We're going to look at, at 1 Corinthians 14 in a little bit more detail. But the modern tongues movement doesn't have any of this restraint. None of the restraints that are given in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, uh, well, I, so let me, let me back up. Number one, there were, no, there were rules. Number two, the modern tongues movement does not have any of this restraint. Capital letter C. Number three, then, why I'm against speaking in tongues, is biblical tongues were real earthly languages. And we looked at this already. I'm not going to take the time to read through all of that again, but in Acts chapter 2 and verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Verse 11, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. In our tongues. They were languages that they understood. And that was the amazing thing about it. That was the miraculous part about speaking in tongues is not that they were just speaking this heavenly language that nobody understood. They were speaking a language that was understood. And that was the amazing thing about it. Letter D, biblical tongues were revelatory messages. They're messages that were being revealed. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and again, this, when he's talking about speaking mysteries, it, you, know, you look in, in, in uh, other passages there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he said, uh, you know, the, this, the Holy Spirit... It's the mystery of the gospel, you know. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So I think a lot of times what happens is it gets misinterpreted to say, we don't know what we're talking about. We're just speaking in an unknown tongue and we don't, we don't understand what we're even saying. What he's talking about about speaking mysteries is the gospel. He, and, he, and he makes that clear in First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery... Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit that comes and, and gives us the conviction that we need Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that, that reveals those things to us. What is he talking about, though? He's not talking about revealing some crazy language. He's talking about revealing the mysteries of the gospel. And he uses that same exact term in other passages, the, the mysteries of the gospel. Here's letter E. Tongues were not sought, but were sovereignly given by God. Okay, here's, here's a perfect example of, of what these people are doing. We're going to speak in tongues tonight. 
We're going to do this. They're not things that were sought. They were things that were just, that God gave them to them when they were not seeking to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse number 10. <clears throat> to another, the working of miracles. He's talking about the giving of gifts. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. By the way, diverse kinds of tongues? What does that word divers mean? Different. Many different ones, right? He says, be not, uh, you know, don't be, don't be uh, alarmed when you fall into diverse temptations, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about diverse temptations, lots of different ones. So if there's only one heavenly language, then what's he talking about? Talking about diverse languages then. Because there's lots of them. Because when he speaks, he's speaking in languages that everybody that's there understood in their own language. But he says, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. It's not seeking these things out. They're not trying to speak in tongues. They're not setting out specifically to speak in tongues. It was something that was given to God at the moment that it happened. Here's letter F. Biblical tongues were the least important spiritual gift. And we're going to see that in direct, contest, a direct contrast to what the Pentecostal movement says often is that the speaking in tongues is the primary gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse number 28, God hath set some in the church, first, apostles, secondarily, prophets, third, teachers, after that, after all of those things, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. He lists these things in order of importance, and the very least important gift was the gift of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. What's the best gifts? The ones that he listed in the order. And it's not saying that tongues were not important, but they were the least important of all the gifts that he was talking about. Here's letter G. Biblical tongues were not spoken by all Christians. That means that there were some who had the Holy Spirit who did not speak in tongues. It didn't make them less spiritual. So if the gift of the speaking in tongues is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit's filling in your life, then that means some of these people in the Bible never had the Holy Spirit, if we're going to say that that's what the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit is. But there are very clearly some who did not speak in tongues that very clearly had the Holy Spirit on their life. Didn't make them less spiritual. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30. Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He's asking a rhetorical question. Because he's saying, not everybody does these things. Not everybody has the ability to do that thing. But covet earnestly the best gifts. All right? Letter H. And I want to look at some of these things here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've got, we've got just a little bit of time here. So I want to look. Turn, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians, did I give you a letter H? I did. First Corinthians chapter 14 had to give speaking in tongues special restraint and rules because they were being misused. See, nowhere in the Bible does God say, I've given you power to do miracles, but don't do it often. All right? He says that about tongues in First Corinthians. Let me get over there. First Corinthians chapter uh, 14. And in fact, the, almost the entire chapter, really starting at verse number 7, all the way to the end in verse number 40, is, is really all rules and restrictions about how to speak in tongues. Um, verse 7, and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what's piped or harped? Right? 
And you see where he's going. He's talking about tongues here. So think about the analogies that he's using. For what if the trumpet give an uncertain sound? Who shall prepare himself to the battle? In other words, if somebody's just up there speaking gibberish, how do you even know what they're saying and what good is it even doing? That's what he's asking. So likewise, ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. What he's saying is, I'm not saying that you're not sincere in seeking these gifts, but you're sincerely off in why you're seeking these things. You should be seeking to speak in tongues, this is what he's talking about particularly here, so that you can edify those who are listening to you speak. Well, if you're speaking gibberish and you're speaking that something that nobody has any idea what you're doing, then you might as well just be speaking into the air. That's what he's saying. The trumpet is giving an uncertain sound, and if it's giving an uncertain sound, then what's the point? You're not edifying anybody. Verse 13, wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. In other words, he's not going to do these things unless he understands what's being said. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? How can he be edified? How can he say amen to what you're preaching and saying if he has no idea what you're saying? I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. Yet in the church, I listen to this, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Doesn't sound like somebody that's just seeking to speak in tongues for the sake of being able to say that they did it or for the sake of being able to say that they were speaking or praying in this heavenly language. He said, I'd rather speak five words that I know and that somebody's getting an edification from than 10,000 words in a language that nobody can understand. He says, verse 20, brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it's written. And he goes on. But look, let's look at um, verse number 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a song, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in, in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. In other words, in turn. Everybody's not speaking in tongues together, right? This, this last lady that said, let's everybody speak in tongues together. That is completely contrary. Even if you believe that what they're doing is right, it's completely contrary to the way that the Bible said that it should be done. Two or three at the most, and everybody in order, and let one interpret but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak, two or three, and let the other judge. If any man, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it out unto you only? 
If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that these things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. You know, so when it comes to speaking in tongues, he's, he, you know, and he says, you know, he, he gives the rules. He said this is not something that's supposed to be sought out, not something that's supposed to be uh, done often. He's never said, I, I've, given, I've given you the gift of healing, but only two of you do it at a time. And no more than three of you do this gift of healing, right? Uh, he had to put the restraints on the tongues because what was happening is these natural tongues were being misused. People were trying to copy the gift of tongues. So, you know, d does God ever give somebody uh, a gift and then rebuke them for using it? Does God ever uh, give a miracle and then tell them not to? He doesn't, he doesn't, so that means that he was not talking about a miraculous gift here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The trumpet was given an uncertain sound because no one could understand what was being said. And no one was being edified by it, which is the whole purpose of speaking in tongues in the first place. So let me get into this, number two, and we're just going to cover this first point tonight. Common errors of the tongues movement. Number one, they say speaking in tongues is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit filling. And I have, they say, and what the Bible teaches, number one and number two, just to kind of distinguish. They say speaking in tongues is the primary way to prove the Holy Spirit's filling. And again, somebody that believes in speaking in tongues, I'm not saying that they're not sincere about it. I'm not saying that they, uh, that they don't want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that they're inviting demonic, you know, whatever. I'm not saying any of those things because I do believe that many of these, especially the first lady in the video, I think she was very sincere. I think she was very sincere in what she was trying to accomplish. She wanted to be closer to God. She wanted to have that relationship with him. She wanted to feel that closeness to him. And look, you got to give her credit for, for, you know, going and locking herself in the bathroom and saying, I'm going to get a hold of God. You know, most Christians are not willing to do that. Um, but she's, she's misguided in, in what this is because the Bible does not say that at all. Um, Let's look at what the Bible teaches. First of all, letter A, in the book of Acts, there are many mentions of a Christian being filled with the Spirit. But only one time is speaking in tongues mentioned. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous to try to make tongues speaking a primary evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, let's go take a look at Acts chapter 2. A survey, letter, this is letter B, a survey of Acts, the book of Acts, Shows things present when believers were filled with the Spirit. There's eight things, eight things that are mentioned when, when somebody is filled with the Spirit. They say that the primary evidence for being filled with the Spirit is to be able to speak in tongues. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. We're just going to try to move through these passages fairly quickly, but Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. We already read through these, but they were they being filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And obviously, we read through the rest of that chapter that, number one, they were preaching in foreign languages. I don't have these written down for you. You can, you can there's not really a whole lot of room on there, I guess, but um, you can mark these down, maybe mark the, the verses down on the side of your page or something like that. But this idea of speaking in tongues is they were just preaching in foreign languages. And it's very obvious by the context of this passage that that's exactly what it was. All these different nationalities from verse 9 all the way through verse 11, all these different nationalities that were mentioned were mentioned because these people were hearing the, the, the message being preached in their own language. So, an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is preaching in foreign languages. Here's another one. Uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse number 8. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And it goes on. You can mark this down. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12, and verse 31 through 33. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The second evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is witnessing with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that was an evidence of them being filled, is that they witnessed for Christ with boldness. Here's another one, Acts chapter 6, in verse 3 through 5. Uh, and this is where the deacons were appointed. But Acts chapter 6 and verse 3 through 5. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose the deacons. But it was a willingness to serve God's people. That was an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's number four. Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 60. And if you know Acts chapter 7... This is the story of Stephen. He gets up and he preaches with boldness before the Sanhedrin, and then they stoned him. But verse 55 says this, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. But here's four. It's a Christ-like attitude toward their enemies. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he had a Christ-like attitude toward his enemies. Here's number five, evidence of being filled with the Spirit. is Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 20. And that is a readiness to obey God. If you know um, Acts chapter 9, that is the story of Paul's conversion, Saul at the time. Um, but Paul had persecuted, Saul had persecuted the church very heavily. And they were scared of him. When they found out that he was coming to Damascus, they, they were scared. And then Paul has this experience on the road to Damascus. He accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior. And God tells him to go to uh, a man's house named Barnabas. Paul comes to Barnabas' house. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 17. I'm, I'm sorry, not, not Barnabas, uh, Ananias. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. It was a readiness to obey God. Acts chapter 11. There's a sixth evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Um, this is winning men to Christ, another one of those. Uh, and this is actually uh, Barnabas. This is talking about Barnabas going out from the church um, well, verse 22, then tidings for these things came unto the ears of the church was at Jerusalem and they sent forth Barnabas. And it says, he was filled, he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. 
An evidence of filling is winning men to Christ. Here's another one. We've got two more. Acts chapter 13, verse number 8. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, thou wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Resisting false teachers. That's another evidence of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what he was doing. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he went and resisted this false teacher. Here's another one, Acts chapter 13 and verse number 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Is joy in the Lord. That's another evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of them. Uh, and we see that. Eight different things in the book of Acts where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And only one time does it even remotely mention the idea of speaking with tongues. And it's in Acts chapter 2 where it's very obvious that he's talking about speaking in other languages. So the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's another one. This is letter C. Uh, so we had letter B is, is kind of this survey of the book of Acts. And you see eight different places where they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And only once, only once was there even a slight mention of them speaking in tongues. Hard to say that that's a primary filling of the Holy Spirit. Or the primary evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit if it's only mentioned one time. But here's another one, letter C. The evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 and, verse, uh, chapter five and chapter 6 does not mention tongues at all. Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, and you know Ephesians chapter 5 is all talking about um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and talking about many different things. Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about putting on the armor of God and all of those things. But Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 together talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. That's in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and a lot of that passage in, in those two chapters revolves around the idea of being filled with the Spirit. And not one time in either one of those chapters does it mention that speaking in tongues is an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you think that if, if, if it was the primary evidence of being filled, that at least once somewhere in there it would say that we should be speaking in tongues? The, 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 the marks of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 and, verse, and, and chapter 6 are spiritual relationships, Worship, resisting Satan, and effective prayer life, those are evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit, not speaking in tongues. Letter D, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, says that all have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at that passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 13. Everyone that has been saved, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. In other words, we've all been baptized by the Holy Spirit if we're saved. But later on in that same exact passage, it says in chapter 12 and verse 28, that not all speak in tongues. We've already read that. Do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer very plainly is no. So we're all baptized in the Spirit, but not everybody speaks in tongues. So how can, how can speaking in tongues be the primary evidence of being baptized, by, of the primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit? Everybody's filled with the Spirit, but not everybody speaks in tongues. It's just, it's just a, a, a contradiction that, that you cannot get over. There's, there's no way to explain that contradiction. If we're all filled with the Spirit, then we all should be speaking in tongues. But if we're all filled with Spirit and not everybody speaks in tongues, then how do some have the Holy Spirit's filling and not speak in tongues if that's the primary evidence of being filled? We're going to stop there for tonight. We're going to get into the rest of these things a little bit later on, and, and hopefully 
when we draw our conclusions, we might answer some questions that you might have or, or whatever else, but we're going to talk some more about some of the things that the tongues movement says and the errors in this tongues movement. And that's what I'm saying. Not everybody that believes in speaking in tongues believes all of these things. But everybody who speaks in tongues believes at least one or more of these things. And they're wrong. Because the Bible is very, very plain that speaking in tongues is not an evidence, or not at least not a primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit. And, you know, again, you go on and look at, look at videos on YouTube of people that are speaking in tongues, and it's pretty obvious that they don't even follow what the Bible says about how to do it in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, let alone whether they're doing it rightly or not. We'll continue talking about this next Sunday night. I'll give you the second half of this outline, and we'll move on. Let's pray, and we'll be done for tonight. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the Bible being clear. I thank you for all these verses that we have in the Word of God. And God, I pray that you'd uh, make it clear, not just this issue of speaking in tongues, but every one of the issues that we talk about. Uh, over the next coming weeks and months. God, I pray that you'd make it clear to us and that we'd know exactly what we believe from the Word of God. And that as we go through each one of these things, we'd be able to stand strong and stand true and stand tall on the, on the Word of God because we know exactly what we believe. God, I pray that you would uh, just allow the Holy Spirit, help us to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and convict us of things that we need to, to change, convict us of things that we need to uh, uh, tweak, convict us of things that if we read something in the Word of God that we might even all have been doing for a long time, if it's not right, help us to change it. And that we'd be willing to change those things as well. God, I pray that you would just give us a good week. I pray that you help us again to be a witness for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.